Now, the the actual spacecraft that are used, their 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 skin or the the, the hulls, the the metal. Now, I remember the testimony of David Adair, who describes, I think it was 1971, where he was taken to Area 51 and he was given access to this retrieved extraterrestrial spacecraft that was very large. It was damaged, but he said that the the skin or the fabric of the craft actually responded almost organically, like it it would move, it was like alive, and and it could, and it responded to emotions in particular. And so can either one of you want to start responding to that one? If I could jump in very quickly, if I may, I would like to point out, I appreciate the way you described that, doctor, because I would like to point out on a macro grand perspective from World War II up until now, a lot of the scientists that have been rumored, some of them have come out, some of them still not, the ones that have been rumored to deal with the craft in which the skin of the craft is much more alive and organic, have in fact, if you notice the personalities of these scientists, there are not many of them, but they're very positive. They're very, they're very energetic. They're very, you know, just as people. Again, this goes into the 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 correspondence, as I understand it, between obviously not just mass, but the manipulation of what we call mass in correspond in correspondence with um, electromagnetic energies and um, and the double helix DNA as well. Yeah, Elena, did you want to jump in? Well, I have a lot of. Uh to say about the the, the skin of a ship uh, it was a, a very moving experience for me the first time i got to touch it or to try to touch it <laughs> you know i'm i already knew because i had been really warned when a ship is activated when a power core of a ship is switched on you do not get close because it ionizes everything around you and it can actually destructure your molecular structure i mean the effect is it burns you to death so only approach a ship when it's off when it's not you know i had one experience i was on a ship on the mothership of the galactic federation and i was invited to go and touch in the hangar under the belly of a scout ship it looks metallic very smooth silver metallic but when you approach you start to feel even if it's switched off okay a field of consciousness it's alive it's just resting and it's alive and it's a living organic made up material like organic synthetic in a way material and it's alive it's like a pet and it has kind of it's experienced as emotions but it's not it's a very highly computerized thing but it's experienced as emotional reactions so i i approached my 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 finger and because of the piezoelectric of my body um the skin retracted and i could go uh, maybe five centimeters in it was like ripples, like you touch something uh, like very jelly, jelly thing. Um, and uh, it was cold and um, it was a great experience. You're listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. It's my great pleasure to welcome back to Exopolitics Today, Elena Danan and Dave Rossi. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much, Doctor. It's an honor to be here. Well, I thought it would be a good 
thing, if we could kind of start off with something we discussed in our last interview, Dave, where you brought up this very interesting issue that is in terms of understanding some of the advanced physics concepts involved in these retrieved extraterrestrial craft and anti-gravity technologies, torsion fields and so forth, that some of the government scientists that you've been collaborating with actually are very interested in the work of Elena, that they are very familiar with her reports of contact with extraterrestrials and that they are avid readers of that. So can you kind of like speak to that? Sure, absolutely. So what I can say is that there are many people, as I've said in our previous conversation, and I'm very happy that Elena's here. So if I can say it with Elena in, here in real time, um, there are a lot of people from various departments and areas of, of the United States federal government, as well as private aerospace industry, and even other places that have been following um, Elena, her channel, have been reading her books. And I say this with respects to the overall big picture of, I guess, what we could call the, the exopolitical state of affairs at the moment. I can say with certainty that um, I am I'm a I'm an example of someone who would not be able to collaborate, uh, speak with, or even work on some of the things I'm working on right now privately if it wasn't for a lot of what Mrs. Uh, Ms. Danan has said regarding, uh, you know, there much more negative elements leaving at least for the time being the um, the surface of the planet, underneath the planet, you name it. Um, I'll go as far as to say that there were even certain facilities that could not be. <clears throat> accessed by certain groups with more benevolent intention that can now be accessed because of uh, because of this sort of cleansing, if you want to call it, or removal of these negative forces. Um, when it comes to things, for example, like when we discuss experiencers with um, uh, toroidal geometry, seeing craft and having experiences very uh, esoterically, but also merging into the physical, that, as a matter of fact, is something that... <clears throat> is uh, many decades old and very well understood. I don't mean to speak on behalf of any uh, specific scientist, but what I can say is that there are hundreds of papers in which have been done theoretically and experimentally where people in the, you know going about their day have experienced something, whether they're close to a craft or they're close to a, a being, whether in the physical or in the more, I guess we could say, ether, esoteric way or a bit of both where the science is bar none, without a doubt. Um, it is not breaking any of the known laws of physics. As a matter of fact, it is staying within the, the, the quote unquote rules that we've set for it. But as a quick little side note, a lot of these papers are on restricted servers, not necessarily because of they're sensitive, but because there are a lot of people, both in, in private industry and in other areas of the government that just don't wanna waste time arguing with the others that say this is not possible. But it certainly is 100%. And so when these experiences occur, some of the things that are that are reminiscent and reoccurring over and over again are certain visions, certain messages. Sometimes these messages are conveyed to the experiencers in different ways. For example, um, if someone, for example, has a, a, a conscious or subconscious interest, say in, I don't know, um, playing video games, let's say, the phenomenon will have its initial, you know, sort of POW type um, appearance to the person. But then after that, the residual messages from that initial appearance have been known to show up in 
video game screens, computers, you name it. And the same thing is applied even to people that are just say, for example, someone is very interested in gardening, uh, forget the digital stuff, just, you know, planting uh, seeds in their backyard and all of this. These um, beings and these energies, in a lot of regards, will also speak to them in the way they deem comfortable. So perhaps, for example, certain, we could say, plants will, will go overnight into a geometrical arrangement so that when that person comes out the next day to garden, they're actually receiving a message within the arrangements of that. So many things like this have happened over the years. And I, I don't know everything, absolutely not. But what I can say is that, um, just to, to finish off here, I would say personally that normally when an investigator is investigating something, they usually start with a clean slate, an empty table metaphorically, and they start putting things onto that table when there's enough data to, to, to bring things together. In this case, I would say it's the opposite. The possibilities are truly infinite. So we should keep everything on the table until there's enough data to take it off the table. So that's where that's where I stand on that. Well, thank you, Dave. Well, Elena, I mean, have you been approached or are you aware of some of these um, scientists working on classified projects or advanced technology projects, kind of like reading your work or contacting you? I mean, do, do you know anything about that? Well, I've been contacted by email um, maybe between six, eight, eight times by persons uh, naming themselves scientists and wanting to collaborate with me but you know I do not know these people so I never followed up with them because I am aware that it can be a trap so uh, yes indeed I have been approached but I, I, I am not able to say it's by the right people. Okay well w one of the things uh, you, you mentioned Dave uh, that I thought was quite significant was that there has been this kind of shift, if you like, in terms of control or orientation of some of these uh, classified programs or facilities that you've visited or are aware of, where now there's a greater openness or urgency to get this information out because uh, there has been a kind of shift about a shift in terms of negative extraterrestrials that hadn't this undue influence through the deep state have had to leave our solar system and positive extraterrestrials have kind of come in and helped open things up. Now, this is something that, correct me if I'm wrong, Elena, that you started talking about kind of like in early 2021 that the positive extraterrestrials were kind of like driving out or contending against the negative, but then it was, but then it was in kind of like around September October of 2021, when there was this kind of arrival of the Cedars of the 24 uh, Guardian or founder races, and that, and essentially their arrival meant that much of the kind of the the alliances, the this negative extraterrestrial group left. And what I found very interesting was that um, on January 23rd, there was an interview between. Uh, John Peterson from the Arlington Institute and uh, Greg Braden on Greg Braden's channel, where John Peterson, who whose Arlington Institute is very much connected to these this same network of uh, government think tanks and laboratories that uh, Dave has been uh, exposed to, he said that three independent sources 
confirmed exactly what Elena had said, that the negatives have been driven out and that the deep state is scrambling to con control things. And in, and in the interim, there is this openness. So, so first, Dave, do you want to kind of like speak to that? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I will be very blunt with respects to the reality as I understand it to be the case. I'm not claiming I'm right, but at the same time, I will say that it is of my understanding that a vast majority of what we would call military intelligence tactics in which were used to keep a lot of these benevolent and positive figures, whether human or otherwise, suppressed uh, via leverage or, you know, you name it, blackmail, things like this, have largely been lifted to a vast degree, which has allowed for an open window, if we want to call it, to occur for people even like myself to attempt to bring, um, you know, a lot of this stuff out from the black projects into private industry, and then from even before private industry, just into the hands of the people largely, or at least into the minds of the people. And so there has been, I can say for certain, a very large force that is largely negative. Um, Elena, please correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, that is attempting to project far more strength than it currently has. And a lot of people uh, have noticed this in a, in a benevolent fashion. And this is one of those opportunities where if you don't seize it, you don't know if you're going to get another one. So. So, yes, Elena, do you want to kind of respond to that? How do you feel about this kind of like amazing corroboration that I mentioned that John Peterson from the Arlington Institute arrived or was told from three independent sources exactly what you have been saying since 2021? Well, first, I... Uh... I jumped with joy hearing this, but then I am not surprised because I knew some sometimes sooner or later these corroborations were about to come and there will be more because I I trust that the information I get from the people I am physically in contact with, um, the extraterrestrials of the Galactic Federation. So um, I was really delighted and uh, it, to me, it it marks a step, a turning point in the disclosure because these people are are allowed to talk now. And there's been an act uh, recently uh, voted to protect the, the whistleblowers uh, in, in the army or to um, for going forward and, and speak. So, um, of course, I'm delighted. It's great. <laughs> Good. Well, that kind of confirms that uh, top scientists are very much interested in anything to do with extraterrestrial technologies and people like yourself, Elena, that have had contact. And of course, so Dave, you know, you've, you've had contact and that's the reason why you were kind of given access to many of these think tanks and your, your understanding of some of the, the formulas, the advanced mathematical formulas that are involved in things uh, like gravity and uh, free energy and so forth. So I wanted to uh, like start talking about some of these uh, concepts, some of these energy uses that the uh, extraterrestrials use and that uh, government scientists are now studying more closely and possibly wanting to kind of like release into the public arena. Now, Elena, you talk about the, the real energy. So I thought maybe you can like just explain what that is. And my question to you and to Dave uh, after you finished, Elena, is well, what connection is the, the frill energy to the radiant energy that Nikola Tesla patented back in, uh, I think it was 1903? Um, yes. Um, 
bef- uh, there's something I wanted to add when you asked me the question, Michael. Um, uh, have I been have I been contacted by by people? Actually, um, something I'm ready now to disclose publicly is that uh, last year I was approached by um, scientists, alleged scientists uh, from Silicon Valley, and uh, they uh, lured me into trying to get me to sign a non-disclosure agreement on all my work um, for perpetuity and non-revocable were the terms. Uh, there was also um, um, I've been hassled, uh, really hassled to physically go there to California to Silicon Valley, and they it, it the the persons were really 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 passionate and and and. and to get me there and that was really weird and so much that I had to get an attorney to help me to to get out of them to find out that the World Economic Forum was behind them and sponsoring this operation so um yes (laughs) these kind of things well um the frill yes well you know um the frill is the energy uh, that can be harvested from ether from the void and um, I I wrote down a few points uh, that I can read quickly so the frill frill and it's interesting because my ET contact uh, spells frill frill and um, the 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 Germans uh, you know they write it with a v but v in German at the start of a word is f so they say anyway, frill. So it's the energy drawn from the vacuum of space that is filled with a medium that we, we can call ether. And it has a physical substance that generates pressure and gravity and penetrates through everything. Uh, the vibration of the vacuum generates longitudinal waves or compression waves, and it's an unlimited source of energy. And so when the ether is still, Uh, there is yet an energy to harvest. So this energy is harvested with a a dynamic impulse, with gravitational waves. And then the ether generates freely this this energy that we we can can harvest. Um, So it's present everywhere in the ether in the vacuum, but at the moment the vacuum is not moving. There's no compression waves or um, scalar waves, as we could call it. Um, there's no, the frill is not active. When scalar waves or compression waves uh, pass through the ether, moves the ether, then it generates this frill, this, this, this energy. So that's why what my, my contacts uh, explained to me. I will say that um, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. There's a lot of things that I will say that I, I have to uh, watch my words a little bit. But what I can say is that uh, 100% there, there is certainly something with um, with the longitudinal component, whether it's in particle physics, whether it's in chemistry, whether it's in, uh, I mean, you name it, uh, whether it's for propulsion, all of that. But to start with the concept of the Vril, um, I would say ultimately that Elena did a beautiful job of explaining it is the the medium in which could essentially be tapped for various purposes, whether it's propulsion, whether it's for healing, uh, for medical benefits, all of this. And the 
the capabilities and possibilities are literally unlimited. Now, in my line of work, this is what we call the field of potentials, essentially, where whatever one's intent or imagination can de uh, derive um, from the quote unquote ether or area of empty space is in fact very feasible to create and do. Now, with that said, I would dare to say that the human body is far more, I guess we could say, uh, capable of doing this and extracting this energy, this vril energy from the ether, than largely anything mechanical, uh, in my opinion, or anything physical. A lot of people have talked very lately about, um, you know, different ways to generate gravity waves. And that's all fantastic. And um, I have a couple papers coming out on that soon. And um, a couple patents I'll be filing on that soon. We'll see what happens. But these, these waves are essentially very much like a, an electromagnetic fluid in which could essentially be manipulated, sort of like um, a ball weaving through fibers to make a thread, sort of like a Dyson sphere, if that makes sense. And the more that you activate these potentialized um, electrons in quote unquote empty space, the more it's kind of like, again, an old uh, fiber or thread weaver in which these energies could be pulled out from the quote unquote ether and then become real to and for us uh, not only serve us, but literally be the doorway and mechanism for many different areas of of um, of energy uh, capability and extraction. Thank you for that. Well, maybe uh, either of you can kind of like explain what connection is there between this real energy, frill energy, and the radiant energy that Nikola Tesla uh, patented back in uh, 1903, as I recall. So either of, of you, if you know anything about Tesla's radiant energy patent, uh, how, do that, how does that connect to this frill or these compression waves or longitudinal waves that you, did you both did talked you about? Did you want to go first, Elena? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, um, any mass in the any object in the universe has uh, a mass, and this mass creates a distortion in the ether, and it's going to attract the ether. Uh, the ether is going to um, be attracted to the, the the object, and the object is going to radiate back longitudinal waves, and that's radiant energy. And the Earth has it. Every uh, body in the universe has it. That's how Nikola Tesla could tap into it, the radiant energy that were, was coming from the, the Earth, from, from the core of the planet. He could tap into it. And it's once you're plugged into it, you plug to any other points on the planet. And this can really generate um, universal energy. And, it, it's, and it's free. It's unlimited. So that's how I would explain it. If and I could, uh, if I could, sorry, add very quickly to what Elena's saying. If you, if we think of the Earth as a living being and its body, if it were to have a heart in the center of it, that heartbeat would emit what we call uh, the Schumann resonance, for example, as as we've discussed, uh, you and I, Doctor, on my previous appearance. And basically, if the the pulses, just like when someone is in uh, is in the hospital and you could see their heart rate, if the pulses emit energy that we cannot see nor experience but could certainly extract in various ways that would certainly be something that for example would be infinite in the sense that so long as we remain alive the energy would come from the planet a larger body to us a smaller body and then emit itself in whichever way that we would like to and I, if i could say very quickly to address the tesla side I would say that Tesla, with his um, resonant tuning and all of that, found a set of ways to electrically and magnetically tap 
this type of real energy. And, and I say this because I also believe there are ways acoustically, uh, harmonically, also within the microwave spectrum as well to tap this. I think there are many different ways to, to um, access it. And Tesla had certainly found one, in my opinion. Sorry, Elena. No, it's fine. <laughs> Great. Well, now I want to kind of like shift to an, another kind of advanced concept that the uh, extraterrestrials use in being able to navigate throughout our galaxy, and, and that is their understanding of, of gravity and their ability to be able to kind of like generate anti-gravity or to be able to manipulate gravity, to be able to travel interstellar distances. Now, gravity, uh, from my um, university days, was uh, the, the Newtonian understanding, which was just you have two masses and the uh, the, the 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 force of gravity is just a, a, a question of this equation or these two masses, they multiply each other. And when you divide that by the distance apart, you get the force of gravity. That's the Newtonian understanding of gravity. So how do extraterrestrials understand gravity in a way that they can harness it or manipulate it for interstellar travel? Well, the, um, a mass it, it comes from the mass a mass creates uh, a drop of pressure in the in the in the ether you know in the vacuum well it's not really vacuum you know um it, it creates so it a drop of pressure and because of this drop of pressure the the ether is going to uh, start a movement and get absorbed uh, attracted by the, the the body and um this energy so it will radiate back and ships know how to harvest it it's it's longitudinal waves so they know how to harvest it as they approach uh, stars and many many ships use gravitational fields of stars to bounce off it and and take power you know um, they can also harvest they have a way of harvesting frill or longitudinal waves um with in crystals they can so store them in crystals and this goes in the core uh, engine core cylinder of a ship um and um so that's um you know star trek uh, it's disclosure the dilithium crystals it's not an invention of imagination you know they use crystals which are a derivative of lithium if and i can that, yeah and they're red if I can add to what Elena said, um, again, the uh, absolutely has to do with mass. Um, I also believe very strongly, uh, based on the work of people like Dr. Hal Pudoff, I cannot attribute this to myself, uh, Dr. Hal Pudoff and, and some others, um, where in which I would also say that I, I, I stand on their shoulders in this regard, uh, mass and inertia, inertia meaning instant takeoff, the way that we see the craft just zoom off, they have a direct connection. Um, I, I have to watch my words here a little bit, but it has to do with the ether and the way that the ether would move like um, similar to the way water moves around submarines in the ocean or the sea, for example. Uh, there's a, a manipulation where the ether adjusts itself to the actual craft itself. And it also has to do with the um, the ions going in a certain arrangement geometrically. And these ions arrange literally in a crystal-like or crystalline form. So um, I, 
would say uh, with the utmost respect to to anyone actually that says anti gravity it's it's a it's a fun name it's a beautiful name but it's i would say that it's maybe not as accurate as people may think because i would say it's more so gravity negation and using the mass of quote unquote empty space that is not there at the moment, but becomes activated via the vril to then propel the craft. Now, this is not just, there's not just one way this can work. There are many different ways. We're familiar with the um, the Alcubierre warp drive where it's been said, if this is a craft, you can sort of tilt it and then use the potentials of mass of, from the ether to then push itself along. That's, that is just, that is one way. And I say this in a, in a very exciting way, because I would say the more creative one gets, the more you can tap in various ways of this type of energy. But ultimately, yes, it could be the pushing and pulling of uh, planetary bodies. Um, there's a device that I'm working on, uh, having patented shortly where it is nothing as extravagant, but it uses literally the ether and the earth's natural electric and magnetic pulses to push itself off, so to speak. Now, I would like to say to your audience, doctor, that this has the same observable effects as what people call anti-gravity. And again, there are very um, intense ways of generating this. And there are also very light ways of generating this. So there's many different routes one could go here, but it's all, um, it's all possible nonetheless. Well, the, the storage of the energy uh, that extraterrestrial spacecraft can generate. Now, I, Elena, you already mentioned that they use crystals and that Star Trek was a kind of type of disclosure, di dilithium crystals. So, so, um, how superior is that, or more advanced is that, than our present technology where, you know, we think of kind of like um, large capacitors, uh, those that are, can be superconductors for storing large amounts of energy. And I'm thinking, and, and I'm sure, Dave, you probably are very familiar with um, uh, Salvador Paez's hybrid aerospace underwater craft where he has a kind of giant capacitor in there that can store giga, gigawatts of, of energy. So how superior is using these kinds of crystals as opposed to uh, some kind of superconductor or, or capacitor, high-level capacitor? Dave, well, um, or, or oh, either of you. No, no, Dave, please. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I, I know that there are various types of superconductors. There are type two, type three, type four superconductors, but I do know that um, this, there are many different ways this can be done. Now, in comparison to, we could say non-human craft, I would say personally, it depends on the species. Um, some of them are far more ahead than we could ever fathom um, to the point where their bodies are the craft in the sense that literally uh, the closest example I could probably give would be like what people saw with um, Iron Man in Avengers Infinity War and Endgame where he would just tap his chest and the suit would come on and all this stuff and all these big uh, mechanisms would come out of the suit and all of this. Now, they tried to pass that on in the film as nanotech and programmable matter. But what I'm speaking to is something non-mechanical. I'm speaking to something very organic, something that is uh, natural within the ether, within all of this. And these beings have found a way to tap that and simply use thought and intent to get to, um, in, in combination with the Casimir effect, where you take two metal plates very close together and you can emit 
a transverse and longitudinal pulse. Same idea there. Now that's that's extremely, in my opinion, uh, far ahead. And compared to what we can do, I I haven't seen anything to the exposure that I've had in which has been successfully replicated in an organic sense. Um, when it comes to nanobots and you know programmable matter, that's a different story. But there's also, if we scale it back a little bit to what we currently are aware of as well, there are plasma arcs in which could also be created with inside of um, certain types of uh, mirrors and chambers that when pulsed, uh, essentially uh, with certain, we could say capacitors, just again, use quote unquote, the ether or empty space to then propel itself off. But I will say, doctor, that it depends on this, the, the group and the species we're speaking on um, in terms of how far ahead they are compared to us. I, I wouldn't say that we're necessarily vastly far behind compared to some other groups, but um, we're certainly, in my opinion, middle to bottom of the food chain in that regard. But that, that's just me. Elena, you wanted to say something about this? Well, yeah, that um, the, the crystals have a natural ability to, um, how to say, to to suck in the, the waves, longitudinal waves or the scalar waves, and to transform them into energy and radiate it back. So that's something crystals uh, naturally do. Uh, quartz does it very well. So that's how crystals can become generators of, of energy. Uh, transforming the the, the, the scalar waves. Um, I, I want to follow up a little bit with on uh, what, what Davey was saying about the different directions of um, electrogravitic fields. Um, the, the way I was shown how uh, a spaceship works, you have, so you have the core power cylinder and you have uh, this frill stored. And you, it can be stored also in in uh, as a plasma. So this uh, is surrounded by uh, magnets, and this magnet will create an electromagnetic field that will activate something. That, there's a double tor toroid uh, uh, that uh, that powers the ship. Uh, this double toroid is two toroids, one into the other. And each one contains either uh, superheated plasma or either most of the time, the most common is uh, mercury iodine. It's negative ion mercury and it's red. Um, so the, the, the magnets around the, 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 the core generator with, together will create a, a pulse that will activate a first toroid that will spin round like this and this will create a magnetic field that will activate the other one inside that will um, spin perpendicular and that's the perpendicular uh, spin of the two toroids that create mass cancellation and what we call anti-gravity and then the the mass is totally cancelled and the the ship just hovers hovers in the, in the middle of nothing and that's that's something then separate from propul propulsion as something that's after. Okay, thank you. So as far as uh, the extraterrestrials themselves inside of their craft, I'm, I mean, we, we all are familiar with uh, astronauts flying up on rockets where uh, they experience these high G forces because the law of inertia 
is a, is applicable when it comes to just you know the use of liquid propulsion technologies. But with the extraterrestrial spacecraft, I mean they are, they are able to maneuver in ways that uh, if if you use Newtonian physics or the laws of inertia, the occupants would be crushed against the against the walls of the craft. So so what is it that the extraterrestrials do so that they're pilots or their crew don't get crushed against the walls as they um, make these right-hand turns at these incredibly fast speeds. E either either of you want to go first? Did, did you want to go first, Lena? or? Uh, okay. So, well, <laughs> um, the, this um, gravity, this mass cancellation, gravity cancellation, uh, creates an ionized bubble around the craft and this bubble inside of this bubble there's no mass and there's there's no gravity and so there the craft is going to move through the ether within this bubble and it will not be subject to pressure the pressure the wind of ether will slide around the bubble um and in the habitacle they reproduce uh conditions of gravity and pressure pressure that they need for to be to be inside so i've been many times on board a ship and uh i was i was shocked at first that you don't know you're moving it's very impressive you you you, you say oh so when are we leaving no we are, we are actually moving at a crazy speed how and unless you you have a visual you have no idea you're moving it's very impressive. If I if I can add to what Elena was saying to elaborate on when she said um, conditions are met so that you don't feel anything when you're inside of the craft. First off, I agree with everything she said um, even before this uh, this part as well. But I I can go as far as to say that um, what is called an Aronoff Bohm effect is done inside the craft where a new what we call a neutrino beam in some cases are literally put through the center of the craft um in some cases it is directly coupled with the actual um we could say uh cylinder that also powers the generator that also creates um its own uh, gra point of gravity which is why a lot of people that have walked onto some craft have said the moment they take that first step into the craft they feel like something's pulling them in um and that's because this neutrino beam that has been um shot right through the center of the cylinder at the center of the craft is now a new point of gravitational pull for people to then be orbit around uh, very similar to planets um which is which is quite i find it peculiar and quite interesting and if i may say one last thing if we were to view this aronoff bohm effect from above a bird's eye view you would have also the exact same visual description as the eye of ra and the eye of horus from ancient egypt so that that speaks to potentially you know um little hints being thrown along the way by our ancestors thank you Dave. so elena you've described actually being in one of these craft and or several of these craft belonging to the galactic federation of worlds and that Thorhan has invited you sometimes to sit in the pilot's chair and that you've sat in there and piloted the craft. So how does that work? I mean, how do you pilot? How do you navigate the craft? And and what what how important is this kind of like chair, the pilot's chair in one of these extraterrestrial spacecraft? Well, the the, the chair is in fact the commands. The front board is only for monitors. And it's 
uh, holographic monitors that, that come. So these monitors, you can um, either use them as just monitors or either use them as uh, controls if you want a manual drive. All the commands, most of the commands are in, in the, the armrest of the chair uh, for manual. So I'm, I'm going to talk about first manual uh, uh, drive, manual. So you either uh, press... Uh, uh, touches on the, the the side of the chair, or either put your fingers with the uh, in, through the the holographic controls in front of you, and uh, it's it's hologram, but it's weird. Uh, it's like the the piezoelectric uh, of the, the effect of the body. The fingers is active in it. You can put your your finger through and move elements, and it's going to uh, command different things in the ship. So that's for the manual, but that's not the most common. I was uh, invited to play around with that first. When I got really used, um, they told me the real stuff, the, uh, the piloting via thought, and that's what they all do. So you need to interface with the, the artificial intelligence of the ship. All the ships have this artificial consciousness. It's like a, a living thing. It's not a soul, it's just a, a, a computer program that's gone so far that it starts to compute by itself. That's artificial intelligence. So, um, and it's totally safe, you know. Uh, these people will never put themselves at risk uh, with AI if they, 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 they weren't sure of it. They are in control of it. So you interface, how do you interface with the, the artificial mind of the, the ship? Well, by there are patches in, in the well, in the, the ships the scout ships of the federation at the end of the armrest it does a, there's a, a band like this and there are uh, hexagonal patches it, it's like glass green glass and it it interfaces your dna with the ship dna has a certain frequency and it's going to interface uh share search uh, uh uh, resonance with the certain uh, frequency of the ship. If you don't have the right DNA, you cannot interface and you cannot do anything. So um, I, I'm lucky that in the body I occupy, I have a little bit of this DNA, but also the consciousness is um, very important. That's why you cannot uh, cut the hands of a dead body and put it, it's not going to work. You need the consciousness. And my consciousness also is, um, is linked with this, um, the frequency of the builders of these, these ships. So you put your hands and then you're, you're, you're going, it's very quick. The first time it's, it's like a wave passing through you, like, wow. And you see uh, millions of um, lines of, and, and geometry of uh, light. Uh, it's gold. And it's, it's like, it goes so fast. You inter you interface with the, the mind of the ship. It's, it's very impressive. And then, it all stabilizes and then you can drive by thought and it's very difficult it's very difficult it's like telepathy you don't use your normal thinking you use um an kind of an external way of thinking like when you you do telepathy you're talking in your mind and that's the same uh so you need to be very focused uh that's um that's why i experienced I would say that to Elena's point, you, you, I have to watch my words here, unfortunately, but what I can say is that you don't try and understand it logically so much as you try and feel it. Yes. 
um that's 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 the most i could probably say at the moment on that oh yes, interesting okay um well these these chairs these extraterrestrial chairs have come up again and again in the exopolitical literature probably the most famous is the montauk chair and that was uh used by uh, this program to open up portals and to be able to kind of like open up these portals and people would go through these portals. So is it the same principle here? I mean, can these uh, chairs that you were exposed to, Elena, or that you're familiar with, Dave, can they be also kind of repurposed or used to open up kind of like a space-time portal where someone simply walks through a portal and goes from A to B without traveling through space? Elena, you want to begin? Yes. Uh, well, the, the the chair is is not the, the the vessel. It's the tool, navigation tool. So whatever you interface it with, will it will command it. Okay, it will command a ship. But if you interface it with a stargate, it will command the stargate, not only open and close, but also the destinations. So it's just a tool. You can do everything you want with it. Unfortunately, I I. There's not much I can say at the moment, so I would I would refer to Elena on this. But I, I would I would say it's very possible that what Elena's saying is is very probable. I mean, uh, I don't know if um, you can give away too much, Dave. But I mean, uh, your inability to respond to that question is that because um, you've actually had to sign some NDAs that you can't talk about certain topics um, in. You know, various projects that you've been involved in. Is that something I, I, you can? There are some things I'm to? consulting. I'm doing some consulting uh, work on at the moment that I, I it, it it deals with DNA and things like this. That's the most I could probably go. Unfortunately, forgive me. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, it's a very kind of uh, important point. This 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 chair or this extraterrestrial chair and how it can be used both for having a ship navigate through space-time or be repurposed for things like a Stargate. And, and they're kind of like, I mean, we need to just bring this up because everyone or many people are familiar with the Stargate uh, movie and the series. And in Stargate Atlantis, I mean, they had the, the chair and that was exactly what Elena described, that it was... Uh, used to um, be able to kind of like control this portal to be able to travel great distances uh, between uh, solar systems. So uh, essentially, Elena, and, and if you can talk to this, Dave, I mean, this the Stargate series, Stargate Atlantis and, and the, the chair, the Atlantis chair, as they described it, I mean, that is a form of soft disclosure. I totally believe I was shocked when I, I watched the series on your recommendation, Michael. I, I watched all the series. <laughs> it took me time, but I, I stuck to it. And the Stargate Atlantis, I was, I jumped on, on my, my seat. I went, oh, what? And it's it's the copy of um, a, the, the, a pilot chair. It's not exactly the same design, but it's the same thing. And the patches. The, the 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 character in the movie puts his hand on hexagonal patches. And I went, Wow, and I described that in my in my first book, A Gift from the Stars. So um, I, I couldn't make it up, you know. And uh, it's disclosure; it's totally disclosure, of course. 
I would say films like Tenet, Stargate, um, His Dark Materials, Stranger Things, Black Mirror, yeah. of course, Stargate Atlantis. Um, it, it's very likely there are things there that are trying to prepare us, in my opinion. Okay, very good. Now, the the actual spacecraft that are used, their their, their skin or the the, the hulls, the, the metal. Now, I remember the testimony of David Adair, who describes, I think it was 1971, where he was taken to Area 51, and he was given access to this retrieved extraterrestrial spacecraft that was very large. It was damaged, but he says that when he examined it, it, it activated, it responded to his energy. So, you know, that kind of speaks to uh, Elena's point that one's DNA and consciousness is important in terms of activating or you know, interfacing with these uh, extraterrestrial technologies. But he said that the, the skin or the fabric of the craft actually responded it, almost organically, like it, it, would, it would move, it was like alive, and, he, and, it, could, and it responded to emotions in particular depending on you know who was touching it I mean, if someone had a, like was passive aggressive it would respond in in reaction to that but if someone was loving or open and gentle as david adair was it would kind of like welcome that person so it can again um, either one of you want to start responding to that one if I could jump in very quickly, if I may, I would like to point out, I appreciate the way you describe that, doctor, because I would like to point out on a macro grand perspective from World War II up until now, a lot of the scientists that have been rumored, some of them have come out, some of them still not, the ones that have been rumored to deal with the craft in which the skin of the craft is much more alive and organic, have in fact, if you notice the personalities of these scientists, they're not many of them, but they're very positive. They're very, they're very energetic. They're very, you know, just as people. So it's interesting that a lot of these people tend to be the ones allegedly that are dealing with the craft and which are far more, I guess you could say, quote unquote, alive than others. Um, I can say again this goes into the 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 correspondence as i understand it between obviously not just mass but the manipulation of what we call mass in correspond in correspondence with um, electromagnetic energies and um and the double helix dna as well um yeah elena did you want to jump in well i have a lot of uh, to say about the the the, the ship of a, uh, the skin of a ship uh, it was a, a very moving experience for me the first time I got to touch it, or to try to touch it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I've, oh, I already knew because I had been really warned when a ship is activated, when a power core of a ship is switched on, you do not get close because it ionizes everything around you and it can actually destructure your molecular structure. Maybe the effect is it burns you to death. So only approach a ship when it's off, when it's not, you know. Well, um, I um, I had one experience. I was on a ship, on a mothership of the Galactic Federation, and I was invited to go and touch in the hangar, the the, the skin of uh, under the belly of a scout ship, and um, it looks metallic, very smooth, silver metallic. But when you approach, you start to feel, even if it's switched off, okay, a field of consciousness. It's alive. It's just resting, and it's alive, and it's a living. Um, I would say organic made up material, like organic 
synthetic in a way material and it it, it it's alive it, it it it's alive it's like a pet and it has kind of it's it's experienced as emotions but it's not it's a very highly computerized thing but it's experienced as emotional reactions so i i approached my my, my finger and because of the piezoelectric of my body um the, the skin retracted and i could go uh, maybe five centimeters in and then it there was too much pressure it stayed and it it, it was like curious uh do can i trust this person to let her touch me you know it was alive it was and eventually it allowed me to touch it because I was yes Dave I was very positive I I put myself in a state of positiveness and and grounded and then it allowed me to touch it and it was like ripples like you touch something uh, like very jelly jelly thing um and uh, it was cold and um it was a great experience if i if i may add in a purely a hypothetical sense here if there were to be if if i have in fact interacted with some of the same things that elena is discussing um i would be of the opinion that you're you're also dealing with what we would call um potentialized electrons basically and so the potential for those electrons to become gradient to become steep and have a slope within the skin of the craft as you touch it begin to adjust to the what's called the electric permittivity and magnetic permeability of your body and that's why your body is the core dictator if you want to call it maybe that's not the best word but it creates the foundation for how the craft is going to respond it, it's not that the craft needs you per se but there is um similar to how elena described the two uh, toroid fields before and then in the center they sort of intersect like this so to speak um there's that that linkage if you want to call it so that that's probably the the, the best i could describe it elena does a better job but Thank you. Um, I'm sure you're familiar, Dave. I know Elena has met with uh, JP. He's um, uh, my Army, US Army source who's, who's active, who's currently serving uh, with the Army, and he gets sent on these missions, um, both on Earth and off planet, to visit kind of like uh, these locations with advanced technologies or with civilizations and he describes visiting an underground city in the Bermuda Triangle uh, near a buried space arc and he said that when he visited this city that there was a giant bubble or a shield around it and that that protected the city from the surrounding water which at that depth would be incredibly powerful and you know even a submarine a nuclear powered submarine would be crushed by the pressures at that depth but yet he's described this this kind of like shield around it around protecting that city and that he said it, it, it kind of moved with the waves and it was actually generating some energy that would power this underground city so that kind of suggested it was uh there was some crystal technology involved and that the piezo piezoelectric effect was was in application generating energy that would uh, power the city so so do you know uh, either one of you uh, could you explain how a transparent shield could be made like that that would protect a city at the bottom of the ocean i Maybe think Elena, a, you start 
Yeah, <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm aware of the frequency shields that protect the holds of records and uh, ancient arcs and cities. Uh, frequency shield is if you don't have the right frequency of consciousness, you cannot pass through your burn to death. And that works, uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's a slightly different mechanism, but it's, it's, it's a protection. Um, now you talk about powering the shield, powering the, the city. That makes me think about crystals that are able to convert scalar waves into power, into frill, uh, into, into energy. Um, would it use the power compression waves of the, actually the water, the waves? Um, um, is it, is it possible? It is possible. I do not know more. It's just suppositions. Dave, maybe if you I could have say, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. If I could say, actually, um, there will be some some work that I'm actually doing on a, a natural bio human fields in water, a, a paper that'll actually that's been uh, approved for me to take public in the next two three weeks at most. Actually, it's interesting that you brought that up because it deals with this, and what it deals with specifically is I can't speak for um, the this alleged uh, we could say shield itself, but if I were to um, hypothesize or speculate on this, there are very strong uh, crystalline and crystal structures within the hydrogen bonds of water. And so when those bonds are linked in, we think of, for example, a tree and you have the trunk of the tree, which is one big thick trunk or branch, and then it begins to branch and taper off into smaller ones. And so this shield may in fact be uh, creating, a, a, in, in, in an organic sense, a direct um, ace, what's called asymmetrical ebb and flow with the rest of the ocean, and then forming a very, very dense mass curvature and gradients at first. And then as it starts to trickle out outside of the shield to the rest of the ocean, the farther you get from the shield, the less dense the hydrogen linkage becomes and all of this. And so that's that's my opinion on, on how that would potentially work. I'm sure there's far more to it than that. Um, I'm also having to, again, watch what I say a little bit, but at the same time, I think with respects to the hydrogen bonds, particularly when we look at the fact that hydrogen is one of the key elemental building blocks of this reality, um, I, I think there's something there. Can I, can I, can I add something to um, Dave? Um, well, um, the, you spoke about the hydrogen bonds uh, of the water, and uh, it it reminds me of the hydrogen bonds of the DNA and uh, one and the other are able, these hydrogen bonds, when they are connected, they, they create vortex, vortices. Water is well known to be um, a main component in stargates and portals and the DNA as well is an aerial and that, that contains micro vortices that allow consciousness to transpose uh, to different places. Uh, so that's that's just uh, interesting. Um, yeah, I thought this was a very interesting kind of question because when JP described that shield and the way it generated energy and it would move in response to the water, that I, I thought, well, this can't be just an, an electromagnetic shield. That has to be something more because you know, I know in, um, in one of the patents by Salvador Payas for the uh, hybrid 
uh, aerospace underwater craft, he talks about a, a quantum vacuum bubble that, that can be generated electromagnetically so that a craft moving under the water creates this kind of super cavitation and can move at like hundreds of miles an hour or hundreds of knots could, could under, I, under I, the water. So please, yeah, can you if, speak to if, that? If I, sure, yes, actually, if I could add to that, and thank you for bringing that up. If we think of, if we go back to maybe half an hour ago in this conversation, approximately, the, the Casimir effect, you take two plates, metal plates, you bring them very close together. If those plates have within them mass. So if one could, for example, create and increase the density of the mass within a hydrogen bond and then do it to another one and then start to link them, you will have, for example, this curvature, this gradient of either space time, you know, empty space or water with a liquid, in this case, obviously H2O. And so you can create a very thick fundamental basis like the trunk of a tree. And then from there, have the hydrogen bonds in pairs, the same way the Casimir effect is two plates close to each other, just sort of the same way you drop a rock into a pond, ripple itself away, and then get lighter and lighter, both in weight, in mass, in density. And so, for example, purely speculation here, but it would be possible that this type of craft could then, excuse me, my cat in the background, this craft could then essentially create a, a, a vibrational state where it voids all of that density, essentially, where the same way that that uh, Elena was talking about the craft and air make a bubble where all of the empty space and all of anything that comes at it will just fall off of it like a like a shield is around it would be the same thing in water, in my opinion. So yeah. I'd like to kind of oh, sorry, did you want to add to that, Elena? Oh, uh, I want to say that uh, if it works in space, it works underwater, of course, as well. OK, it's a very important point to make. Now, one of the other things that uh, my source JP has talked about, and I know Len has talked about it at length as well, are these arcs that are being discovered um, all over our solar system, and that uh, they're also a number of them are, are on the Earth, and that they that they've begun activating in response to the incursion or the arrival of these cedar groups or the twenty four extraterrestrial civilizations. So. Um, is is that something you're familiar with, Dave? Has, has there been kind of any chatter or questions from uh, scientists that you've been communicating with about these arcs? Because I know Elena's talked about it, JP's talked about it. I, I can say that I know for a fact there are discussions that, as we currently speak between different groups of both human and non-human groups to facilitate a sort of transition to allow us to potentially understand these type of technologies. I cannot say that I know specifically about any one or set of arcs. There's been scuttlebutt, as we call it. There's been rumor talk, but I will admit that it is not um, come across my line of consulting or work in the laboratory. But I am of the understanding of how, in principle, they would work, but I would love to let um, Elena speak on it. I'm sure she probably knows far more than myself on this. Well, um, to, res to, um, to resume the, the, the story of the arcs, where well, they were ancient technologies left by uh, a group of extraterrestrials, different group of extraterrestrials. Actually, you had the Anunnaki, you had the Intergalactic Confederation called as well the Cedars. You had also different extraterrestrial groups of this galaxy, but the two main ones were the Anunnaki and the, um, the, the, extra, the Intergalactic Confederation. 
These arcs are a technology that is reacting with consciousness, a frequency of consciousness. When in October 2021, the, the, the fleet of the cedars arrived in our star system, came back, the frequency of all these consciousnesses of this really large amount of people in these motherships, uh, the wave of it activated by quantum resonance, so we, we can say it like this, uh, the technologies of the arcs. It's DNA, consciousness, resonance, DNA and consciousness, resonance. You need always the both. And many of these arcs had um, avatar bodies in stasis, waiting for consciousness to incarnate back into them and kind of awakening. These people know how the crews and they know how the, the, the arcs and the technology in it work because they, the bodies are bound by DNA to the technology. So only these bodies can be used to uh, activate, to pilot and use these technologies. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Elena. One of the things that have been observed, and a number of you have actually talked about it. I mean, JP has talked about it. Elena has talked about it. Uh, Jean-Charles Moyen has talked about it, seeing uh, in these arcs these uh, stone sarcophagi where giants are sleeping or in stasis. So how would that work? I mean, how how would that work where a, a like, for example, let's, let's look at some of the things that JP has uh, specifically talked about that he has seen. Um, for example, in an underground civilization in Florida, he was taken down there and he says he saw a, a stone sarcophagus with a giant inside that. And he was asleep. And this being was and was being protected by uh, the denizens of that civilization. So how would that work? How would this kind of technology work where someone could be sleeping or in stasis for thousands of years and then wake up uh, around this time apparently they're, they're all waiting for this being to wake up so either one of you'd like to address that well i believe michael there are two uh two elements first that uh the the time dilation for these beings is different than ours we live on earth as on every gravitational uh, body in the universe on linear time at the moment you have gravity you have linear time so linear time is long time uh, when you're out of it it's it's nothing um that's there's this but there's also the fact that there's been no one inhabiting these avatar bodies the soul was gone they we say they were sleeping but they were in fact the bodies were maintained alive in living condition that the day a consciousness comes back into it uh the body is operational biologically you know so uh, i i understand that there hasn't been someone with, whose consciousness has been frozen no the consciousness was out in space for all this time and now is going to come back into the avatar and the avatar wake up in a way. I will say, and I, I don't take any pride in saying this, but this kind of falls in the same area of what I had to um, refrain from speaking on earlier. But with that said, um, thank you, Elena, for going first. It's given me time to, to prepare for what I want to say here. The If there were to be said 
beings of size and, and strength and capability and all of this at rest. It is of my understanding there are multiple ways they would be able to stay at rest for so long. I would be in full agreement with Elena, which would be that they are not there in those bodies, so to speak, but those bodies theoretically would be preserved using cryogenic stasis with potential transverse and longitudinal um, locking in, so to speak, similar to the, the, the way we described the hydrogen bonds before. And if I may say very quickly, um, I would, I appreciate Elena, you bringing up the, the concept of time dilation, because if, if what we understand as time, uh, hypothetically being only a rate of something moving, and then everything else um, responding relative to that center, we could say, um, oscillation or resonance, what you would sort of like how planets orbit a, a center a star or planet, then if you remove yourself from that orbit system, you are not connected or attributed to that particular um, experience and understanding of time. So a, a practical example would be the, the film Inception by Christopher Nolan from 2010, where basically People can, uh, you know, people would go to sleep, uh, but, you know, 10 minutes being asleep in a dream state in uh, would be 30 years in the, the dreamers or sleepers experience. So I would very strongly agree with what Elaine is saying about the time dilation and all of that. So for them, it's for these alleged beings, first off, they're not even, they wouldn't even be inside of you. We could say the body, the vessel, you name it. But secondly, let's just say they were, if their perception of time, time dilation and time relativity was different, it could be a half an hour nap for them. And for us, it would be thousands of years. So. Thank you. Thank you to both of you for answering that. Well, uh, my last question is probably one that a lot of people would, would love to hear about. And that concerns quantum healing technologies. Now, I know, Elena, you talked about being given um, information from uh, Enki or Prince Eya uh, that he was part of, or he he returned into our solar system around the same time as this group of 24 civil, extraterrestrial civilizations, and he had the original Adamic DNA, and he handed that information off to the Galactic Federation, who in turn handed that off to the Earth Alliance and that they are in the process of manufacturing these med beds to create this kind of quantum healing effect where people not only will be healed of many illnesses, but also you can have age extension, quite significant age extension. So again, Elena, maybe we begin with you and then Dave can chip in. Well, um, since um, about a, more than a year uh, when the, the moon was uh, liberated and taken back by the Earth Alliance, um, it has all changed in there. And then uh, all the facilities, most of the facilities were transformed into uh, factories to produce these medical beds, medical technologies in mass, um, already using a technology of, um, they call that holographic resonance um you take um when you have altered tissue for instance you're going to find 
in time in the, the evolution of the body, a moment where when the tissue was not altered, and you are going to uh, take this resonant uh, this frequency code, and you are going to uh, broadcast it holographically into the wound, and uh, as I was explained, the universe tends towards perfection uh, anything that is dissonant is going to tend to be resonant so that's how it's going to what's damaged is going to to attune with with what's perfect um so that that's how these this technology to be very very fast work but then yes um in plus of that uh the the being we know uh, by enki um he he wants to be called ia because Enki means um, Lord of Earth and he's not anymore. He's not considering himself like this. He brought back a frequency DNA code of <clears throat> encoding of um, the moment before the human DNA on Earth was altered. Before that, when he, uh, he found out at the time that... Uh, the, the human DNA was a compound of an amazing amount of intergalactic genes, and um, he that he recorded that, and that um, that that's what he called the, the the Adamic DNA because this this he pushed it at the potential, the full potential that wasn't that was in process of evolution of being activated, and he pushed it as he's a scientist he he loves has a passion for experiment so he pushed it at the maximum of possibilities and that gave the 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 most powerful uh, human DNA and that's the template he's bringing back because afterwards the deep state well it started by Enlil and his faction they started to want to make of the human race a slave race so the altered DNA to bring back the age of a very very short amount of years and uh, just alter all the possibility break down the hydrogen bonds and a lot of things in the DNA but before the template, just before, Enki brought it back and it's now being implemented in all the medical technologies and it remains as a choice. If you use this technology, you will have, if you want to try it, the choice of benefiting of this repair. And uh, I like the word repair, repairing, uh, you know, so... Um, I'm sure Dave has a lot of comments on that. <laughs> well, there's there's quite a few. There's quite there's quite a bit that I unfortunately can't speak on. But the, the reason I closed my screen was because I went to grab a couple of things to to give an example. Because Elena, the way you're explaining it, I appreciate it very much, and I appreciate the question, Doctor. Because, for example, uh, first and foremost, this idea that um, I, I've recently written an article about a, a couple months back on uh, DaveZ.substack.com where I said. Um, if it's stackable, it's hackable. And when I mean hackable, I don't necessarily mean in a negative way. Although as what we call in in, um, in what's been called in military intelligence, dual use, it could definitely be used for, for negative purposes. But if we stick to the positive, for example, if we see this, this spring here, right? Let's say the top of the spring is a very, very infected uh, cancerous cell. We can take if, if time is not anything that is a limit, but it is something in which could be tapped, for example, 
we could take, and I'm just using this little marker, uh, this little um, thing here as a, as a marker. We can take a point, say the top part is where the cell is very cancerous currently. We can take a point when the cell used to be healthy, say over here, and then bring it right up to the top and then replace it essentially. Now, this is dealing with, as I understand it, potentialized electrons essentially. This is why <clears throat> there's such a piezoelectric effect when that occurs. Um, but I will say that I really appreciate what Elena was saying about the repairing. It's really, it's genuinely in the etymology and the breakdown of the word. You're repairing the states in which would be harmonious and synchronous with one another, essentially. So um, I also would say as well, very strongly that it, um, I would say that if, if there were to be a way to potentially break and I say break very carefully, but snap the bonds of our hydrogen, certain hydrogen bonds within our DNA, there would be much more of an ability to, I guess we could say, perturb, extract, manipulate a lot of these energies for healing purposes and otherwise. So uh, forgive me, I, I have to, you know, uh, be careful as this is a field I'm, I'm very into right now, uh, particularly um, bioelectromagnetics and all of that. But yes, I would I would agree very strongly with Elena as well. Well, I would like to kind of finish off by just getting each of you to comment about what you think uh, is the likelihood that over the next 12 months for 2023, that some or many of these technologies that we've been talking about is, is going to be made available to the general public. So maybe we can begin with Elena. Do you, do you have any kind of idea or would you like to guess or predict what you think is going to happen over the next 12 months with uh, the release of some of these technologies. I've been told that 2023 would be a turning point and a joyful uh, outcome. But then, you know, time again, the time uh, aspect, it can be pushed back. It depends on how things are going to unfold. As things are unfolding at the moment, it, I think in the next 12 months, we can see a lot of changes. But first, what to see these changes, uh, it's not like this, it's not free and, you know, it, something needs to happen on earth. It's we need to get rid of the, the deep state, it needs to fall because certain technologies are held back because they do not want upstairs that these technologies fall in the wrong hands. So they're really waiting that we, we, we work hard at... Um, um, getting rid of the deep state we have this power just you know by saying no and not consenting etc it's another topic but so i would say um there's there are good chances that these this arrived this year but it's not set in stone set in time so um that's what i could say what i can say is from where i am there's a lot of moving parts i could say that for example <clears throat> It is of my understanding the last couple of months specifically, um, if and I'm just going to say it for simplicity's sake, if we were to group everyone into, you know, the different factions of bad guys, the different factions of good guys and all of and then you have the different groups of people that are playing both sides against the middle, whoever comes out on top, they'll go with. Um, it is of my understanding that the, the plans on either end of the spectrum of those groups have completely fallen apart. I, I don't think for better nor worse. It speaks to what Elena was saying in terms of uh, 
things are moving the way time moves is very much like um, a body of water. It could be moving very nicely and fluidly, or it could suddenly just be very erratic. So what I mean by that essentially is that I do agree with Elena. I'm not, I, I really wish I could say that, you know, I've been uh, implied or told, you know, a certain date, or I wish I could say I'm working on things or consulting for things that will be public at this date in this month. But Right now, being in the thick of it, sometimes you're so in it that you don't even know really what's going on, if that makes sense, big picture. So I unfortunately would say that um, in terms of a six to 12 month plan or, or a revelation, <clears throat> there will certainly be progress. Now, progress in the sense of will there be physical devices to come out to heal people and such? I, I can't say for certain. This this is, in as I understand it, and I don't say this I don't say this negatively, but I also don't say this uh, positively either. This is more of a um, anywhere from two to 12 year rollout. And I could be very wrong about that, but that's just as I understand and as I see the things to be currently. Um, and unfortunately, the landscape is very, as they say in, you know, um, in military intelligence and otherwise very fluid. Things things could change very rapidly. So, but that's the just like um just like a magnet, for example. Whenever there's a negative scenario, there's always by definition the opposing ability for a positive scenario to occur. So that that's where I go with that. Thank you, Dave. So we'll kind of finish up, uh, maybe beginning with Elena. Is there anything you would like uh, to say to my audience? Uh, your your website, what what you're going to be doing now, what's what's coming up. Well, thank you, Michael. Well, um, I have my website, elenadanan.org, um, and I have a YouTube channel where I put all my uh, updates for free and I speak about the content of my books. Uh, I'm going to, I'm starting to do webinars. The next is on the 28th, the first is on the 28th of January. Uh, all the links are on my website. So, um, and uh, I would like to uh, encourage everyone to uh, believe in themselves and find their own identity, their own power within themselves uh, and uh, embrace who they are and do this work. And if we really connect everyone to who we really are inside, um, there's no more worries to have on this planet. Thank you, Elena. And I do look forward to your first webinar. So, Dave. Uh, tell us about uh, where people sure. um, I was going you. to uh, thank you so much doctor and it's been a, it's been an honor and a pleasure to be here with the both of you and I want to thank Elena for um, not just initiating but bringing out the um, <clears throat> the excitement in me to <clears throat> to add to what she was saying so thank you so much Elena I appreciate it um, and thank you doctor for for putting this together um, I could be found at patreon.com slash generation Z the reason I bring that up over uh, my YouTube channel at the moment is because for the next couple of weeks unfortunately I'm suspended from YouTube with no apparent reason it's interesting because I put out my presentation that I had given to engineers and physicists almost a hundred of them at a at a conference I put a, a virtual video presentation of that out on my channel to say hey this is what I showed them and um, within 48 hours, I got suspended. So um, patreon.com slash generation Z, we do uh, two, three times a week Zoom calls, uh, very similar to the discussions we're having here. And um, it is truly the my, my bread and butter, if you will. So 
thank you so very much. If anyone would like to reach out to me, uh, you could reach out to me at um, genzpodcast at gmail.com or uh, if they feel for a more safe and encrypted conversation, salt, S-A-A-L-T-L-L-C at protonmail.com for consulting purposes, uh, projects, papers, you name it. So thank you so very much. Well, thank you, Elena and Dave, for being on this show. You have been listening to ExoPolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com. 